Welcome back to the Ohioan Podcast. Craig Schaub here with you, and today we have a couple of special guests. You may know them as Captain and Cat, but they actually are people, depending on if you've watched the uh, the YouTube show, but Kevin Hoban and Jordan Simkovic, is I, is I, did I say that correctly, Jordan? You nailed it, baby. All right, great. Well, I definitely <laughs> hungry. That's probably the only time I'll ever get anything right. But, uh, well, I definitely appreciate you guys uh, coming on to the podcast. How are you guys doing today? Awesome, man. Thank Great. you so much for having us on. I appreciate yeah. it. I'm excited to well, talk to you. For those, of, for those people who are listening that uh, may or may not know, what is Captain and Cat? How did this get started? That's a loaded question. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Captain and Cat uh, is a kid's show. Um, also, we're a band as well. We started making kids' music a long time ago and kind of transitioned that into an online YouTube show that uh, animated, it's live action, it's educational, uh, musical, and fun. It's kind of a, a variety show in a lot of ways. Sure. Multimedia. We call it a kid's concept. Right. <laughs> you know, um, and yeah, Jordan and I, uh, we went to college together. We went to Northwestern out okay. in Chicago. Sure. Uh, we met there, and um, we were in a fraternity together, started playing music. Uh, I think back then Jordan was playing the bongos. I was playing guitar <laughs> and um, kind of formed our own band back at Northwestern. Yeah. Now, did you guys, did you guys think, you know, back in college that you'd be, you know, performing children's music and maybe, you know, creating this show? Was that sort of a goal or was it just having fun and it kind of morphed into that? Well, I think our always like our biggest audience has always been kids. Right. So like, you know, I think I think kind of basically what we would do in college is is we would go right to the center of campus and right like we would play in Evanston and right on campus. And pretty much we realized that anytime we would be playing, we were guaranteed to get kids who would just be fascinated with us. You know what I mean? Like it's definitely yeah. not something you see happening on the streets of Evanston, even though, you know, it's kind of a conservative campus and we were kind of the weird dudes on campus a little bit just jamming out in the middle of campus and and kind of hanging out and then when we both i moved out to la to follow a girl who would ended up being my wife uh and then i told once i got there i convinced kevin to come and join me and once we got out there you know how it is in la like we just pretty much landed and i was going into entertainment and show business and i just kind of wanted to try everything and we found on Craigslist a posting from a woman named Silly Sally, who is an agent for kids parties. And okay. she was like looking for kind of fun, creative people who are interested in performing and want to make a few bucks on the side on the weekends. And so we met her. She kind of gave us the structure of what was kind of our bread and butter back then, which was the bubble show. And we... Um, we're doing probably about six parties a weekend at our peak, which is intense. Sure. Um, and we kind of developed these characters in the context of this show. Hoban, I think, had a captain's hat from Italy from a trip to Italy that he took. Was that, <laughs> was that what it was? Venice. Yeah. We're from Venice, and we were living in the real Venice in, uh, yeah, Venice in Los Beach. Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> um, and my nickname since college, I honestly don't even know how I got this nickname, but my nickname's always been Jordy Cat. So we kind of started performing as Captain and Cat, and we wrote all these songs 
kind of well, back then what we were doing is we would take popular songs and convert them into bubble songs. So instead of goodness, gracious, great balls of fire, I almost didn't even remember the original one. We did goodness, gracious, great bubble party. And okay. instead of Blitzkrieg Bob, we would do bubble party Bob. And, okay. you know, music ended up becoming, before we knew it, music was kind of the focal point of our show. And then, so obviously during the pandemic, uh, at the start of the pandemic, March, yeah, March of last year, that was literally the last thing that we had that ended up getting canceled. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like my acting class got canceled. All the restaurants started closing. Um, the schools that I teach at closed. And then the last thing that canceled was our last kids party that we had booked for that weekend. So mm -hmm. during the pandemic, we decided to kind of pivot to more of an online from to an online entirely online show primarily through instagram now that we've sure. but now we've branched onto youtube so that's kind of how we that's kind of how we got the start in doing this and but you know it's been it's been honestly you learn more from one hour of performing at a kid's party than you do <laughs> at 10 hours of at home creating content however you'd imagine it you know what i mean right so we got from, from that experience we got super tight and how we kind of, and what and what we know will get a response. You know what I mean? Well, how would you uh, sort of describe the the music that you play? I mean, obviously, um, you know, I, I know, you know, children's music is very important. A lot of children's music is educational. Um, how, how would you sort of describe, you know, sort of your uh, your your songs as of Captain and Cat? Interesting. I think we have a lot of Mr. Rogers kind of. Right. Yeah. We have a lot of influences, I would say. Uh, there's a little Elvis in there. I would say a little Louis Armstrong. Um, we do try to mix up the different genres that we're tackling. For, I would say more than anything, an idea comes to us. Like we have a song called In the Swamp. And uh, we wanted to sing a song about what you'd find in the swamp. And so we thought, well, CCR would be the natural <laughs> influence for a song about Bayou or about the swamp. So that one kind of took shape that way. Um, then we did uh, a song about feelings called Let It Out. And that one has like a, a very acoustic, um, almost singer-songwriter vibe to it. So sure. each song takes a different shape as we're going. When we When we did a song about, you know, bubbles it was in the style of uh you know an old rock song so it, we have a lot of different influences and we try to mix it up just to keep keep our music uh as eclectic as we can right how, yeah. how would you sort of uh assess the process and creation of that song to maybe the final production obviously you guys aren't you know rookie songwriters but you know, from idea and conception to the reality of that song being played on your YouTube channel, how long does that process usually take or how long can it take? I would say from kind of, it starts off always as like a little kernel. You know what I mean? It starts off with like a yeah. little kernel or a concept. And then Hoban and I do what we call let's dock it, which means that we put on Google Docs and we kind of noodle around with it for about two weeks. Recording will generally take like three or four sessions with our producer and then the video we can kind of crank out in like maybe two to three weeks. So I would say start to finish, it's usually about two and a half months between kind of coming up with the concept and then we see it out there. 
Uh, We work with an incredible producer who's thus far been like, I mean, we've come to him with the weirdest ideas possible. We've been like, we want to create like a beach salsa sound. And he's like, okay, let's, let's, let's kind of do it. And we've been working with him for so long that we kind of have a decent understanding of each other, which is really, really nice. Sure. But where do you guys kind of find your inspiration? You know, I mean, obviously you're, you've been inspired to become, you know, sort of in this Mr. Rogers esque style, but um, do you find inspiration from friends, from family, from just walking down the street and seeing, you know, children playing and having fun? How do you how do you kind of find that inspiration that will eventually become those songs and just your overall messages to children? I think I work, um, I work with we, oh, sorry, take it over. I think we spend a lot of time together just hanging out, <laughs> you know, on the weekend. We'll play like paddle ball on the beach and stuff and we have, um, just, you know, random things will spark an idea um, that we will just out of nowhere be like, you know, it'd be great. Uh, I think Jordan and I were in a conversation once. He dropped the word elephant time. And I was like, elephant time? And we kind of <laughs> just riffed off of that. And we ended up making a whole song about elephants and calling it elephant time and about elephants dancing. Um, I would say it's. It's always in the back of our mind, like what's you know our next kid song? What would be good for kids? And then um, we sort of let inspiration hit us as we go. I also I also tutor. I spend pretty much every single afternoon, like probably five hours a day, with children as a tutor. So I'm super kind of plugged in in terms of like what's on their radar in terms of what they have to learn. Like literally, I spend with with our last song that we recorded, which I think is going to be our biggest hit by far. Um, I was literally spending a day with this kid who I'm helping learn how to read. And he spent probably an hour, I'm not joking, maybe 20 minutes with his mom while I was there negotiating the terms under which he could get a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> it was literally, I'm telling you, it was, it makes like the most, it makes any acquisition deal look like child's play. Like this kid is like <laughs> negotiating in terms of like, okay, yeah. so I do all of my checklists. Let's say, let's say I miss like making my bed one day. Can I still get the puppy by the end of the year? <laughs> <laughs> so literally I went home that, I went home that night and I was kind of hoping that I was thinking about what our next song was going to be. And then the next morning I sent home in a voice memo of this, of this song called I want a puppy. And I, I think it's, I think it's an it's a next evolution of both our songwriting and instrumentation yeah. in terms of complexity yeah. and and charmingness. Right. You know, sure. you know. Obviously, you've kind of built this brand with Captain and Cat. You've got a you know a cute little logo there, and um, obviously, you have the debut album. Talk a little bit about the album, and also uh, I saw three weeks ago on your on your guys's Instagram, which you can follow at Captain and Cat on Instagram. Um, I did see the the, at cap and cat. Oh, I'm sorry. Yep. That's right. You're right. At cap and cat. Yep. Captain Um, and cat is a a wedding photographer that um, snatched it up before we could get it. Oh, okay. Okay. If you're listening, captain and cat on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Not too many photographers want to be known as captain and cat. I wouldn't think, but who knows? Okay. So at cap and cat. Uh, the debut album, The Adventures of Captain and Cat, is eligible for a Grammy nomination in Best Children's Album category. Um, how do you? How did you guys go about uh, getting that out there and, and hoping uh, 
you know, and trying to spread the word for the Academy members to vote for that uh, particular uh, album. Yeah, well, uh, first you have to find somebody in the Academy who's willing to submit it on okay. your behalf. <laughs> um, so, you know, we went through the process of submitting it and you have to send in a bunch of paperwork and right. you have to meet a lot of criteria in order to be considered a children's album. Sure. Um, and then I believe it goes to some sort of committee where they they choose, you know, the best of all the submissions they've gotten uh, and they put those forth as, you know, what would be eligible for a, a nomination. So we made it to that level. Did you ever think that you'd be submitting an album for a Grammy nomination, perhaps? I mean, is that something that ever kind of crossed your guys' minds, you know, when you started doing this? Yeah. Yeah, you know what? I was listening to Hubble answer. Yeah, that's I good. I'm glad. Be confident, you know? I can't believe we're here. But I'll be honest with you, when we write a song, we put so much effort and so much attention into the tiny details that I'm so enamored with the old, with the music that we like and that, that we make that, right. you know, I honestly... I would venture to say I am, I am, and we are our own biggest fans in a weird way. And I think that that's a nice, you know, it's a nice place to be, to be able to say that we love and are so proud of what we do and that we put so much effort into it. And honestly, it's been, you know, the, whether or not, whatever ends up happening with the Academy or not, I think we've made, we've made something that we know rewards multiple listens and I think is is com is incredibly complex for the genre that we're performing in, you know. Especially right. especially considering like we're we're in the realm in which literally a song about Baby Shark do 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 is is the is the big one hundred pound thousand pound gorilla here. And we right. take our you know we want to we think our you know we think our sub are masterpieces when we make them. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe Let's over time it. we'll reflect on it and be like, ah, I wish I could have done this better. But at the time when we yeah. make these, we're confident that it's the best thing that we could be doing at the time. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of kids music that they're just phoning it in, you know, and they're like, ah, oh, let's make a song about watermelon, and they'll just go, watermelon, watermelon, I love watermelon, 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 stop. And it's like, right. okay, you can put a little more thought into it, and we. <laughs> Like we said, we spend months on this stuff, um, trying to still make it simple so that it's catchy and fun for kids, but that it, there's like another layer that hopefully that parents actually will enjoy and kind of catch these little uh, nuances we put in there uh, yeah. for the more mature audience. Yeah. Well, well, one of the unique things about Captain and Cat is a lot of times children program children's programming you either have to have cable or you have to have a subscription to netflix or one of the many you know streaming services out there but that's not the case for captain and cat sort of explain how people can go about watching the videos listening to music and just uh, sort of interacting with what you guys offer yeah um, well, YouTube, it's all there pretty much. Um, it's a series of, I would say, short form videos and music videos, sketches, skits. Um, the, we do, for every song that we release, we usually have a skit or two that kind of tease it up, uh, what we're doing. We just, for Thanksgiving, we just recorded a, a skit about things to be grateful for, uh, that has no connection to a song. It's just, um, a video on its own. 
Um, and we drop them all on our YouTube with different playlists that are, you know, fun for kids to watch that you can put on for kids and just let them watch for, you know, probably an hour or so of content. And what's been amazing thus far about releasing this primarily on the internet and through social media is, is that each medium has kind of a different, we kind of create different content tailored to each medium. So the stuff that we release primarily on Instagram is a lot different than the stuff that we think will live best on YouTube. And that allows us to kind of, especially at this point when we're making it ourselves, that gives us a lot of flexibility and also stimulates a lot of creativity in terms of what we can do. So like a lot of the stuff that we're doing on Instagram, we would not, necess would not necessarily find a place in a more long form show. But since we're also taught like, and also we realize that like on Instagram, we're primarily talking to mom, we're primarily talking to moms and dads, you know what I mean? And so we right. cater that content, whereas YouTube tends to be more directly, our YouTube page tends to be more directly to kids. So right. that kind of allows us to, to make some jokes that might go over kids' heads and we can make that on Instagram. And what, whereas when we're on YouTube, we can kind of tailor our content to knowing that it's primarily going to be children watching. Sure. Okay. Um, you know, obviously you're, you've gotten so far already, but where do you kind of see Captain and Cat going here in the future? I mean, how, what kind of growth do you kind of hope for or project or, or just want to see out of yourselves? I think we're loving the creative control that we have of making all the content we want, putting it on YouTube. Uh, we'd love to see our audience grow. We're, we're growing actually incredibly fast. I think the last month we um, we grew like 10 times over in terms of subscribers on YouTube. And um, we'd like to keep doing that. I mean, it's the best way to, for us to talk directly to kids. Um, it, it's, it's, you know, we can do pretty much anything we want with it that way. Um, and, you know, if at some point Netflix comes calling, we'll talk. I'm not going to say we would, uh, we would, we would uh, ignore their call for sure, but I will say that being a YouTube creator, I never thought this would be the direction we'd go, but there is something really rewarding about um, just having that full creative control and right. and posting, you know, whatever whatever we're feeling in the moment. We're pretty much a two man band. I mean, we have an animator, an illustrator, a, a music producer, but a lot of the videos we do. Um, it's just Jordan and I recording it, writing it, uh, editing it ourselves, okay. putting it up online. Is it something that could grow into like, you know, you know, you have animators, you have, you know, books and shows and things like that, where, where maybe it's more than just music, where it could, it could really take a life of its own as, as a children's book or a children's cartoon only or a musical cartoon. I mean, is that, is that kind of the, the potential natural progression with, with something like that or do you think yeah. uh you know people we've, like yeah oh, go yeah. ahead I, we've developed kind of this idea of a hybrid of what we've already done a little bit which is going to be a primarily right. live like which is a split between live action and animated and basically we realize that the through line of all of our content is based around exploring and exploring new places and that was especially made apparent during the pandemic where everybody was kind of locked up and and kind of the world felt super small we kind of felt this need and this opportunity to take kids beyond, especially their own homes, and now even beyond their communities to explore far off places in a way that's safe and kind of fun. So we've kind of developed this idea for what would end up being probably our like half hour show. 
in which we go to a place and we in which we go to a like anywhere from like going to visit a specific ecosystem to maybe going to visit and explore a fire station and then what we're going to do is, is we're going to kind of use the animated world that that is kind of will the animated world will be based on either similar characters similar environments stuff like that and we'll get to kind of bring whatever the animals or the inanimate objects to life to kind right. of bring out more of like a social learning issue that we're focusing on because a lot of the stuff that we realize i mean a lot of our a lot of our songs deal with kind of practical learning but i think what we really want to get into and i think where where captain and i are at our best is kind of that teaching kids how to learn about themselves and their feelings and i think that we're going to kind of use the animated world to explore that in a way that doesn't make it sound preachy. And it's not just like two grownups telling you it's important to share your feelings. But if all of a sudden they're teaching a fire engine that it's okay to cry, you know, I feel like that, right. you know, I, I feel like that, that would hit a little bit more directly the same way that kind of Mr. Rogers went into right. that fantastical world to kind of explore things and, and, and to kind of make the mess. I feel like, that allows the message to become a little bit more palatable rather than yeah. direct address and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Definitely. Okay. Um, well, uh, I, we definitely appreciate you guys stopping by today. Where can everybody find all there is to find on Captain and Cat and also yourselves, whether it be social media, YouTube, give us all those, uh, all those, uh, you know, at Twitter or at, you know, Instagram and where can they search on YouTube for Captain and Cat content? Yeah, we're on um, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're at Cap and Cat. Uh, on YouTube, you can search for Captain and Cat. Um, you can go to our website, CaptainandCat.com. Uh, everything's pretty much there. Our bios, if you want to read more about us. If you want to see, we have a whole animated world that we've created. Uh, you can see that on our website. It's and also reflected really cool in our hats. music videos. We also have merchandise. We have some cool bucket hats, <laughs> shirts. We've got a book coming out for our song Shape Safari. Okay. Uh, it'll be coming out in a couple weeks. Um, we're working on toys. That's our next step. So. Awesome. We'll well, once you guys get that Grammy nomination, you have to come back on and we'll talk about uh, some Grammy-nominated children's, uh, children's music artists. That would be great. We'll definitely be hoping and, and uh, praying for you there and, and getting you to that next level. Um, Kevin is the captain. Jordan is the cat. Gentlemen, we appreciate it. Uh, thank you for joining us here on the Ohioan Podcast Network. And uh, like I said, we'll be talking to you very soon. Thanks so much, everybody. Awesome, man. Thank awesome. you so much for having us Thanks, on. Thanks, Greg. Really appreciate it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Ohioan Podcast Network. Craig Schaub here. And today we have a very interesting and special guest uh, joining us for the show. We have Alex Baber, is that, is that how you pronounce it? That is correct, Craig. Okay, and you are the director of Cold Case Consultants of America, which is uh, quite the alliteration and, and certainly a mouthful, but a, a good, easy one to remember, though. So Cold Cases, um, you know, Consultants of America. Alex, tell us a little bit about what the CCCAOA uh, does here. Okay, so uh, basically we assist law enforcement and victims' families sure. in uncovering new evidence uh, using fr forensic technology. There's advancements um, every year, and we try to apply those new advancements in closing some of these cold cases that are out there. 
How many, uh, you know, and obviously we're based in Ohio here at the Ohio and Podcast Network, but I know you guys are nationwide, but um, how many uh, cases are there active that are maybe cold or, or what's maybe a sort of a ballpark figure of, of how many cold cases exist? Uh, the most recent updated uh, number that I've myself seen is around 265,000 cold cases, wow. just, just involving homicides, not abduction, right. missing. Uh, sure. that, that's just since 1980, Greg. Wow. Okay. So obviously you guys keep busy. What, what sort of got the ball rolling on the CCCOA? I mean, why did this, uh, this consultant group develop? I mean, obviously, it, it, you know, based on the fact that there's so many cold cases out there, but why did you kind of get involved and, and want to make a difference with this group? Well, this kind of began at an early age with me. Uh, I grew up in a time where, you know, the good guys always won in the end, you know, Lone Ranger. You know, I grew up in the era of the 80s, um, you know, some of the reruns that my uh, my family had watched, my older brothers and, and father. So I kind of had that mindset that the good guys should always come out on top in the end. And through my life being a PSO, protective service officer, I've done security detail with um, some diplomatic uh, individuals who flew in from overseas and got to see some of the things that happened overseas. And my wife is also a victim. She was abducted in Chicago in 2004. Um, a week later, she was dropped off on the sidewalk, left for dead with nothing but a sheet around her. And um, she recovered from that. And she's a strong woman. She's the assistant director, uh, Jay Lynn uh, of CCCOA. And, you know, she's an inspiration for me. And then in 2007, I started working on a cold case uh, behind the scenes. And I kind of tracked down the perpetrator and I kind of uh, listed him online uh you know in a forum at that time because I, I wasn't really official and he contacted me a couple of days later and uh, congratulated me on on discovering him and kind of uh, knew where i lived uh, knew where i worked uh, knew my fiance at that time uh, her interactions where she worked so mm -hmm. we kind of we sold the house within two months went off the grid uh for safety purposes and sure. we found out three years later he had passed on and unfortunately, we're just now bringing him to justice. You know, it's it's, it's long overdue, but um, you know, it was an eye-opening experience, and you know, I learned from it. I just wanted to uh, come back in and, and start helping people out there. You know, having experienced it firsthand, uh, just being stalked alone, and then with my wife's experience, you know, it, it changes your life. It, it opens your eyes to new things, Craig. Right. You know, obviously, you know. It's one thing to to get involved when it's when it's personal, close to home, hits close to home, like it did with your wife. Um, how challenging is it? And obviously, coming from this background, but how challenging challenging is it to um, have to live through this every day? You lived through it, your wife lived through it, but now you're living through it through other families, and you're seeing some of their tragedies. You're experiencing the emotions that overcome families when things like this happen. I, I used to be a cops and courts reporter uh, in Fremont, Ohio. So I've, I've seen some of the worst of the worst things and just terrible tragedies. How can, how is it, how, how are you able to, to sort of compartmentalize this and live your life and not kind of take it home with you, so to speak? Uh, unfortunately, there's really no separation for me or my sure. wife. Um, when it comes to the cases, we've met a lot of the victims' families. Uh, when you sit down with somebody that's lost a, a child, especially right. a mother, uh, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, and they give you their their story one on one, 
and you know they they break down of course and you can't help but feel the agony they're going through every day especially, right. especially the ones that have never brought their loved one home they've never been located or um you know discovered or identified and it literally takes a piece of you every time and you know it's almost like you exchange pieces with these individuals they give you part of them and you give part of yourself back in return right you know and you want to you want to go to the extent whatever that may be to bring justice and bring answers to them you right. know they it's there's no other way to describe it there's no separation i live with it 24 7. it's part of my life you can go down a very dark hole doing this right you know right. i look at crime scene photos every day almost uh, a lot of them are of children and you know when you see what some people out there will do to children or to women especially uh with children it's it's um, right. it's devastating it, it changes you inside and yeah. you know you, you got to do um you know the right thing that's what we're, we're supposed to be you know, especially as men we're here to protect our, our women our children our society sure. and you know there's just bad guys out here running around walking the streets that never been apprehended so right. you know, we need to get them off the street you know how many when when did uh, the cccoa start officially how many cases have you opened how many cases have you been able to close uh officially we opened this year um we've been working behind the scenes like i said 14 years but we we officially opened this year we have right now uh 11 cases we're about to close i'm on the brink of closing uh 10 of them so okay. and they're, kind of, they're kind of big but we also have 106 homicides out there that we've identified that we're right. about police uh, information and evidence on forensic evidence and um you know we've spoken to law enforcement some of them are working with us um my team is unbelievable my investigative team you know yeah. I have the uh, number one forensic document examiner in the world kurt baggett um i have uh, detective patrick apollian from atlanta you know he's an officer year award winner emerald award winner he has a ton of accommodations um i have hall of fame and hall of fame inductee uh for reporter broadcasting and joe cochran and i have uh dr Arpad Voss is one of the leading anthropologists and DNA scientists in the nation. So, you know, having these people behind me, you know, they're they're the backbone behind CCCOA. You know, okay. we work together here. Everybody has their expertise. We disperse the uh, information. Everybody comes back together as a collective and uh, we close the cases. Now, are you guys, uh, you know, spread out? Are you all in the same area? Do you have an office? I mean, do you guys work independently and come together when needed or you know with especially with covid and the pandemic you know kind of running amok a little bit on the world have you guys you know been able to to cohesively work together or do you have to cohesively work remotely we do we actually have done both um okay. you know with covid it's kind of you know made things a little difficult for us to travel at times uh it's getting a little bit better we were just in circleville two weeks ago the team all flew in through columbus uh where i was born and, um, you know, we went down to uh, the Circleville area and we went out to do the uh, crime scene reenactment and the crash site for Ron Gillespie um, to take some measurements and, you know, do some photos. And, um, you know, we were able to go through the evidence and sit down and, and put everything together. We found some very penalizing new information. Uh, we did some interviews with some people that were involved back in 1976-77. And uh, it was really, really, really valuable that we were able to get there and do this uh, as a unit in person and uh, it's been great it's been absolutely wonderful are you still there did i lose you
I think I lost you, Craig. Well, unfortunately, uh, it looks like we had some internet connectivity issues. Um, I definitely apologize for that. Um, it looks like we ended up losing Alex. Um, hopefully, we can try to get him back. I think what we're going to do, though, is we're going to end the stream. Oh, there he is. I lost you for a minute there, Craig. Yeah, I think I had some bad internet there. Uh, so I'm glad we got you back. Uh, um, I apologize for cutting out there. Hopefully, we've got that fixed. Um, but to continue on with uh, with your team and you know getting together and being able to to help out uh, not just families but also local law enforcement as well. Correct. Yeah, we just had, we're in contact earlier this week with Circleville PD on the Vicky uh, Cook case. We we okay. a letter in Atlanta that was actually mailed in March of 1981 um, discussing Vicky in, in detail. Um, that the public's never seen. And we released that to Circleville PD just earlier uh, this week. How, how, how much do you work with law enforcement? Do they appreciate when you guys come into a city or a village like Circleville? Uh, are they apprehensive when you come in? Do they enjoy it? I mean, what's sort of the, the, and you know, I mean, how closely do you work with local police departments and, and, and law enforcement? Because, a lot of times they can be very standoffish, I would imagine, you know, giving up their crime scene or allowing other people to to come in, especially third party. What kind of uh, reaction have you gotten so far through the cases you've looked at? I would have to say, Craig, that uh, the acceptance for us has been uh, extremely well. Meaning sure. that, you know, they, they there's a lot of situations out there where they have to keep the information and evidence close to the chest for, for guilty right. Purposes. If you get that out into the public domain, you know, and you come across somebody and you think they're a strong suspect, you bring them in and this information's online, you know, and they just regurgitate it, you know, it kind of decreases the um, the, the case, uh, you know, the value of uh, the interview or, you know, if someone's given a uh, testimony, it, it kind of takes it off the slate. So I understand the reasons they do that, but they've been very uh, acceptance of, of us. I have to be appreciative of that. And uh, they've worked with us. The ones that we've, we've reached out to have definitely worked with us. You know, is that in part because of the team that you've been able to assemble, not just yourself having experience in that industry, but putting together a team of well-regarded people that do this these kinds of things for a living, whether it be in law enforcement or whatever it may be as far as the investigative team? Does it, does it help that you have real people that have, been in the you know been in this before that really you know carry some cachet to their names or is it you know or does it do you think it not matters oh it absolutely matters you know sure. my, my team's uh credibility uh, what they've established over the decades prior to ever uh, meeting me or my wife or becoming part of ccoa uh it definitely speaks for itself you know they're sure. the best of the best in their field for a reason and that brings instant credibility to our company and, uh, you know, with me, you know, being at the top, not having as much experience, but having the intellect and the, um, you know, credibility as far as studying and understanding, you know, I've studied under some of the best in the world. So, you know, having that capability to absorb knowledge and then, you know, apply it when needed does make it easier. But these guys definitely carry uh, the credibility for the company. Sure. 
Um, you know, tell us a little bit about some of the cases that, you know, I know you mentioned Circleville, but tell us about some of those cases that you're working on or maybe, uh, you know, some of those uh, those cases that you're you're hoping to tackle perhaps here in the near future. Well, one of the biggest ones that's going to be coming out next week is uh, Chicago lipstick murders from 1945-46. Okay. A gentleman named William Hirons that was uh, basically persecuted by the media. Uh, he, he was a, a burglar. He had been uh, busted outside of an apartment, brought in, and they kind of just threw him under the rug. They, they basically coerced a, uh, a statement out of him, a confession. Uh, he never saw a jury. He actually um, agreed to a confession to save his life. They were given an electric chair. And this man went to prison, and he stayed in there for 65 years, an innocent man. And we were able in the recently in the last couple of months with again forensic advancements in technology we we're able to get the original fingerprint from miss francis brown's door jam a bloody print that we were able to um to clear up digitize and we were able to identify the perpetrator we got a fingerprint match so we're able to exonerate this man after 65 years wow. um, that's wonderful it's a shame he passed away in 2012 he wasn't here to see it, but at least we're able to clear his name for his sake and his family's sake and for the victim's sake, give them, you know, the real perpetrator's name. Sure. How important is that from your perspective? Because obviously, you know, starting from the original case that started all of this with your wife to, you know, that the lipstick murder case, uh, how important is it for you to to seek justice, whether it's, you know, actually convicting or you know at least shedding light on the real perpetrator or clearing an innocent man's or woman's name how important is it for you to get that closure for those cases not just for the family and for the town and the communities but for yourself knowing that it's it's validating what you guys are doing every case um has uh you know equality in my eyes no matter what the case is how old it is uh what the circumstances are within the case um, you know, this has never been about us. It's never been about popularity or monetary sure. gain. We do not accept money from victims' families or from federal government, state government, uh, or agencies. We have our own investors that fund our project. Um, so basically, you know, we're working uh, for ourselves to to get answers for the families. Sure. And you know, the most important part again is getting justice. At the very end, when we you know lay our head down every night, we want to know we made a difference in the world. Sure. Well, Alex, I, I definitely appreciate you stopping by. Um, tell if for everybody that maybe has not heard of the CCCOA, where can everybody find you, whether it's social media, online? How can they get in touch with you if they want to reach out and, and maybe have you help them out in the future? Well, you can go to our website, which is cccoa.us. Again, cccoa.us. In there, we have our media links. Um, we can actually watch some more videos and updates and cases we're working on. We also were on Twitter, uh, same CCCOA.us. Uh, and we're also on Facebook. If you want to look us up, Cold Case Consultants of America, LLC. And we also have the Circleville Mystery website, which will be circlevillemystery.com. If you want to join uh, the website, it's free to join. You get to look at some of the new evidence we've uncovered before we release it to the public. Uh, get on the mailing list. And what happens is these cases that we're actually releasing the new forensic evidence on, which are coming out in the next, uh, you know, two, three, four weeks. Some of these cases are rather big, like the D.C. Freeway Phantom, uh, Black Dahlia. We've actually uncovered some forensic evidence in that, which is really, really? really yeah, it's kind of uh, this is one of our big ones. Yeah, we could probably do a whole episode on the Black Dahlia murders. OK, yeah, okay. you got to wait until you, you see what we got on this case. Yeah, this is a game changer. We're being told we're well, 
we're rewriting history on this one. Yeah, so. well, I mean, you've certainly given us a nice tease for another episode with you, Alex. Uh, we definitely appreciate your time, and we will we will certainly be talking to you in the future. We uh, definitely love to have you on again, and uh, we appreciate all that you're doing for the communities out there to solve these uh, hundreds of thousands of cases, and hopefully uh, one at a time you guys will help get there. So uh, that's, again, the, uh, the CCCOA, that's three C's, OA, Cold Case Consultants of America, LLC, um, obviously Facebook and Twitter on the website as well. Alex, we, we definitely appreciate your time. We will definitely be talking to you in the future. Uh, and I can't wait till, till you break a case like the Black Dahlia murders. That would be... Uh, it won't be too much longer. Yeah, we got to come down the pipe. Yeah, it'd be great <laughs> to see you again, Craig. I'd be, I'd be happy to be back on the show. All right. Well, thanks so much. You enjoy the rest of your week and we will talk to you soon. Thanks so much for joining us, Alex. Roger that, Craig. Take care. Welcome to 2021 Talks, where we're following our democracy in historic times. Today is a celebration of honor, duty, and patriotism. Our international cemetery is a solemn place surrounded by over 400,000 soldiers, sailors, Marines, airmen, and Coast Guard men, and their families who have proudly served our nation. Executive Director of Army National Military Cemeteries, Karen Durham Aguilera, spoke at Arlington National Cemetery on Veterans Day. To commemorate the memorial's 100th anniversary, members of the public were allowed to walk up to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier for the first time in 96 years. President Joe Biden also marked the first Veterans Day in 20 years that the U.S. has not been at war, paying tribute to the late Army General and former Secretary of State Colin Powell. Man who was a friend, but who earned the universal respect of Americans and people for his leadership in uniform and out. A federal appeals court Thursday intervened to temporarily block the National Archives from handing over Trump administration records to the House Committee investigating the January 6th attack. A three-judge panel for the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals issued a temporary injunction, giving the former president more time to argue against their release. Judge Bruce Schroeder, presiding over the Kyle Rittenhouse trial in Wisconsin, interrupted the lead prosecutor Thursday to prevent him from asking a far-right political commentator if the network he works for is biased. This is not a political trial, and um, I, I don't know how you would isolate um, a person's particular politics uh, and determine that that person is going to uh, evaluate the evidence one way or another. Rittenhouse is accused of killing two people and wounding a third during a protest over police brutality in Kenosha. Vice President Kamala Harris, French President Emmanuel Macron, and other leaders spoke at the Paris Peace Forum. Most recently and throughout this pandemic, the gaps have undoubtedly become larger. The U.S. and China have agreed to work together to combat climate change, unveiling a joint declaration to cooperate on carbon emissions scientists warn could raise temperatures beyond a 1.5 degrees Celsius margin of safety. The agreement calls for regulating decarbonization, reducing methane emissions, and fighting deforestation.
In Michigan, a federal judge approved a $620-$600 million settlement between the city of Flint and the state of Michigan for residents and others exposed to lead-contaminated drinking water. I'm Nadia Ramlagan for Pacifica Network and Public News Service. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. Welcome to 2021 Talks, where we're following our democracy in historic times. This is looking to be a holiday season that we've not seen before. Black Friday kicks off the official holiday shopping season and business development specialist Alan Plunkett says for big stores, the outlook from the National Retail Federation is optimistic. NRF is anticipating that there will be an increase of 105 to 13.5% in consumer spending this year over last year and last year was a record year. Small businesses appear pessimistic. Those expecting better business conditions in the near future recently dropped to its lowest level since 2012. National Federation of Independent Business Vice President Kevin Kuhlman said half of surveyed owners reported job openings that could not be filled. Filling open positions, it's inflation just in general, it's supply chain disruptions. And if you kind of attack the root causes of each of those, that that would help the small business half of the economy. And the American economy isn't going to fully recover to pre-pandemic levels until the small business half of the economy has recovered. 4.4 million people quit their jobs in September, many in frontline essential jobs. Some experts attribute the labor shortage to workers feeling unsafe on the job or needing more time to support caregiving. But some are quitting over COVID-19 vaccine mandates, which Coleman notes his organization is fighting against. It restricts the freedom of small business owners to decide how best to manage their workforces, manage their business, uh, and imposes unwarranted burdens on small businesses that further threaten the fragile small business recovery. Meanwhile, Rachel Grasler, an economics researcher at the conservative-leaning Heritage Foundation, argues the so-called, quote, great resignation, unquote, can be blamed on federal policies like expanded unemployment benefits and advanced child tax credit payments. The solution to increase in employment is twofold. It needs to pay to work, and it can't pay to not work. The problem today is the latter. Government policies have made it so that it simply isn't worth it to work for some people. Multiple studies, including by the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, have proven that assertion untrue. To attract workers, Joe Minerick with the Committee for Economic Development says employers are increasing wages and providing signing bonuses, particularly for frontline service positions. Where we are going to be is going to be something that looks closer to what many of us would call pay equity. When the prices settle down, when wages go up at the low end of the scale, it's not going to be a big social movement, but I think that the forces are pushing us in that direction. Chief economist with accounting firm Grant Thornton, Diane Swank, says while lower wage workers are making gains, they don't have the same flexibility as other workers to seek out better opportunities. Generation Z, those young workers with a very high education, that's where the labor shortages are the most acute, and they're getting huge premiums for hopping jobs. The number of weekly jobless claims fell to a 52-year low last week of 199,000. I'm Mary Sherman for Pacifica Network and Public News Service. Find our A-Trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. From the Daily Yonder and Public News Service, this is the news from rural America. South Dakota has long been criticized for too often placing indigenous children with white families. But this year, tribal communities report progress keeping kids placed in foster care on reservations. Marcella Gilbert, Lakota and Dakota community organizer, says foster kids need a nurturing support system even after they turn 18. 
it isn't like, okay, you're done. See you. It's like, okay, let's talk about what you want to do here. Do you want to go to college? Do you want to go to job training? We'll help you do that. By offering an environment steeped in Lakota traditions, Gilbert says kids develop a greater sense of belonging, even if they have a history of trauma. Rules that govern oil and gas production on public lands need improvement, according to Conservatives for Responsible Stewardship. Dave Jenkins says when old wells are tapped out, many producers declare bankruptcy to avoid cleanup costs, then start up again under a new name. They're shifting that cost to you and me. They're making the profit and we're getting the bill. The walk-off from cleanup obligations has resulted in 700,000 so-called orphan wells across the U.S. Jenkins Group supports a provision in the Build Back Better bill to increase royalty rates companies pay for extracting resources on public land. He says making extraction the only priority is an enormous lost opportunity. So they're not managed for outdoor recreation or hunting or fishing or water supply or grazing. They're being managed for oil and gas. Residents in rural Pennsylvania are raising alarms about Maryland's Air National Guard's push to fly military training planes just above the treetops in rural Pennsylvania's Lehigh Valley. Alicia Kramer says concerned locals like herself are not anti-military. This isn't about being patriotic or not being patriotic. This is about really just making sure that rural doesn't have to suffer the negative consequences. The Guard wants to fly planes at 100 feet instead of the current 8,000 in an area that includes bike trails, hunting, and camping grounds. Connecting with the land has inspired a book. Just in time for holiday gift-giving, 40 poets in the Northeast partnered with nonprofit land trusts to create the first-of-its-kind anthology called Writing the Land. My poetry comes from the land. I may as well use it to help protect the land. For me, I write from a point of view of descendant of enslaved Africans. That's editor and contributor Lise McLaughlin and poet Rochelle Parker. Parker says for her, the project meant connecting with the ways land offers sustenance and shelter. Poet David Cruz was inspired by conserved land in Maine. They're really trying hard to try to give voice not only to the land itself, but to people who are trying to serve the land in responsible ways. For the Yonder Report and Public News Service, I'm Roz Brown. For more rural stories, visit dailyyonder.com.